What does a husband get his wife for their very first Christmas together? He better get it right because that sets a tone for the rest of their marriage. A baby, I heard. (laughs) She said, nope, that's not what she wanted on her first Christmas together. In my 18 years of life, yes, I was 18 when I got married and I do not recommend getting married that early. Praise God for his mercy, we're still married today because my wife is faithful and she can endure hardship and God is faithful. We're still married, uh, even after that first Christmas together. So I loved being outdoors. I loved backpacking. I, I couldn't imagine anything greater with my time other than reading a book was to be backpacking. And the more remote, the better. If it had a trail, that was too close to people. I loved just wilderness backpacking. And in fact, I started backpacking without backpacks and without tents. You know, you'd make a shelter out of the, you know, the, 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 the forest, you know? And when I began to think about my bride, what, what could I get her that would show her my love, that would demonstrate to her that that I cared about her. I could think of nothing greater, nothing higher in my mind than a backpack. (laughs) So I went to the outdoor store in Cleveland and they had there the nicest backpack you can imagine. In those days, North Face wasn't a thing. Gregory was the backpack. And in fact, they used to only have these external frame backpacks. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are nodding your heads. But they had just come out with internal frame backpacks. Wow, cutting edge technology. As you move through the forest, off trail, the branches could not grab a hold of your external frame and hold you back. You could move with skill and agility through the woods. I just could envision this backpack on my wife and how excited I was to get this for her. I spent an exorbitant amount of money on this cutting edge technology, knowing that this was the gift of all gifts for my wife. I even included a camping stove. I hate cooking over a fire. The smoke inevitably finds its way into my eyes and it hurts and and burns my food. But cooking over a camping stove, wow. I mean, you could almost do pancakes. So nice. And I, I got her a very nice camping stove. In fact, they still sell a model similar to that in REI today. I got her nice equipment. And on Christmas morning, I had it wrapped for her. Can you feel the excitement I had? I couldn't wait until she opened this gift. And and so she sat on the couch. Oh, Faith, oh, this big package in her arms. I don't know what was going through her mind because she's never told me. (laughs) But she opened it. And I could still hear her words today. Oh, a backpack. I missed, I missed the tone there somehow. Oh, a back, I thought there was excitement. And I told her, yes, and we're gonna go backpacking together soon. 
I missed the excitement there too because we went backpacking together. Now my wife enjoys the outdoors. She enjoys backpacking. Don't get me wrong. She enjoys those things. But when she was thinking of a gift that would make her excited, a backpack wasn't in the category at all. I gave her a gift I thought she would like. I didn't give her the gift that she needed. I want to talk to you today about a gift. A gift that we needed. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Some translations say unspeakable gift, indescribable gift, a gift that words cannot explain. Thanks be to God for his gift. I want to talk today about God's gift. God knows how to give gifts that aren't just something that that he wants us to have. He knows how to give a gift that is something we need. And God's gift can meet us on the deepest level. In fact, God's gift will bring the greatest satisfaction this world can ever know. And yes, even more than any backpack. God has an incredible gift. So let's go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter three. God had given Adam and Eve a beautiful world of which they exchanged for a morsel of food. They found themselves in a new condition, one that they had never been in before. The Bible says that they were naked and they were ashamed. They had nothing. So they found some fig leaves and made some covering. I was just in Italy with my wife on our 25th wedding anniversary. Amen? We were actually backpacking through Italy. (laughs) That's so funny. And she was using the very backpack I bought her on our, yeah. It was that good quality. It lasted 25 years. Men, can I get an amen? All right. And anyway, back to Italy. There was many statues they should have had some fig leaves on. Adam and Eve were more um, aware than many of the artists in Italy. They had fig leaves. They needed something. They were ashamed. They were broken. They had given up everything and got nothing. And God gave them a gift. God gave them a gift. And that gift is amazing. They didn't really understand it then. I think we can understand it more now. But Genesis chapter three, God gives them this gift, but there was one to their side, Lucifer, who was paying attention to every word that God said. You know, it behooves us to listen to every word that God says because we have an enemy that is also listening and he will take God's word and twist it to our destruction. And he was listening to every word that God said. And God spoke this gift to the serpent, to the serpent, thereby speaking to Satan himself. And Adam and Eve received the gift of this. Genesis 3 and verse 15. God said, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, 
between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was the gift. So the gift was that the woman was going to have a seed or a child and this child was gonna provide deliverance for them from the evil one, the deceiver, the serpent, Satan. This child was the gift that God was going to give. The gift. The serpent, Satan, was wondering in his mind, what could this mean? Eve wasn't sure what it meant either because she had never had a child. But she became pregnant and she gave birth to her first child. And we read this in Genesis chapter four and verse one. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I can't help but wonder, did she think that Cain was the seed? Here is the one that's going to deliver us from Satan. I can't help but wonder if Satan thought the same thing. And Satan began his evil deception until Cain had lost the purity that God designed for him. He began to have pride in his heart. And when that happened, Lucifer knew, I've got him. This can't be the seed that's gonna destroy me because I have him in my trap. But then along came seed number two. Here was a young man who loved to follow God. He did God's will and he offered sacrifices that were pleasing to God. The two, the two. I'm sure it was Satan's design to make sure that seed number two, who couldn't be compromised in his principles, was destroyed. And sure enough, we have the first murder in the Bible. From then on, Satan had an objective. If the children that are descending from Eve, if they are pure, he's going to try to corrupt them. If they can't be corrupted, he's going to try to destroy them. That was his objective. But along came a man named Abraham. Here was a man who couldn't be corrupted and God had his hand of protection over Abraham. And he told him to leave the land of the Chaldees, this is in Genesis chapter 12, and I will make a great nation out of you. But Abraham had no children. This was a promise. God was going to give him a gift of a child and this child of promise would make would become a great nation and all the families of the earth would be blessed. Ah, Satan knew now. It wasn't every person on the earth he had to watch, it was just one family. And it wasn't every child he had to watch and worry about being born, it was just one. It was the one that was to come through Abraham because this blessing that would come to all families would be his own destruction and their redemption. Satan had one objective in mind, to destroy this child or to destroy Abraham's faith. Abraham wrestled with his faith. Over time, years passed and he says, well, I have no child. God, is it Eliezer, my servant? No, it will be a child from your loins. So Sarah got that one confused and Ishmael came along. Lord, is it Ishmael? No, it will be a child from Sarah and in Genesis 17 or 18, he says, and you will call his name Isaac, laughter. You and your wife will have a child of 
promise. And this will be a blessing to all the earth. And sure enough, along comes the promised child. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. We're told in John chapter eight and verse 56, Jesus says that Abraham desired to see the day of Christ and he saw it and was blessed. When did Abraham see the day of Christ? I would argue that it's right here in Genesis 22. Right here in Genesis 22, Abraham saw the day of Christ. God opened up a window into a picture of Jesus and his relationship to his father that helps us understand more fully about the gift that God has for us. Genesis 22. And after these things, verse one, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, what do you think went through his mind at this moment? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And he said it four times. Your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Take him. Where did Abraham's mind go? To none other than his son, Isaac, whom he loved. Can you imagine the years of waiting for this child, the laughter and joy that he brought this home? Isaac whom you love. His mind went right there, thinking about Isaac. And then God said this, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. What a shock. Why did God emphasize four times, take Isaac, the one you love, your only son, He was emphasizing something in the plan of salvation about the gift that God has for us, helping us to understand the relationship between the father and the son. Your only son, whom you love, take him and offer him as a burnt offering. What do you think went through Abraham's mind at that moment? Wait, is this you? God, was that that you? Abraham knew God's voice. He walked with God. And when God asked him to do something beyond belief, he knew God's leading. It's vital, it's critical that each one of us know God's voice in our life. We know from his word, we know from experience how to walk with God. And when we come to difficult moments, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt That was God leading me. Is God leading you? He wants to. He wants to be intimately involved in your life just like Abraham. Abraham, how he must have wrestled with this. Take your son to Mount Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. At some moment, we don't know when, but in the book of Hebrews, it gives us an insight into Abraham's mind. The insight is that Abraham realized If God gave him to me in the first place, he can raise him from the dead and give him back to me. The issue isn't what I think, the issue is obeying how God is leading. Because God is able. 
At some point that evening, as Abraham was walking, he passed Sarah. He passed her, passed her along the way. What do you think went through his mind? He didn't tell her what he was going to do. He woke up before she got up and, and they took the servants and Isaac and they left. It had to pass through his mind, I can't tell her. Every waking thought, in fact, I question if he slept that night, he was thinking about this experience. What was it that was in the forefront of his mind? The coming death of his son. Imagine that evening as they're eating their supper and he looks across the table at Isaac. What is he thinking? My son is going to die. His every moment must have been painful as he was thinking about the upcoming death of his son. There was no question in his mind And so they traveled three days, every step of the way. Abraham must have been thinking about the love he had for his son and the death that was soon to come. This is giving us a picture into the gift that God gave us. Sometimes we read the the Christmas story and we, we read about a baby that came in a manger. What is it that you think about when you think about Jesus coming? What's the first thing you think of? Peace, okay, peace, anything else? Red? You guys look beautiful in your red, by the way. I had a different shirt picked out today, my wife. Chris, remember, so I'm learning slowly. (laughs) No backpacks this year. What is it you think about when it comes to Christmas? What, What do you think God thought about Christmas morning? In fact, it wasn't Christmas morning. I'm sorry to disappoint some of you. Jesus wasn't born on December 25. He was born in October, November, somewhere there. That's a study for another time, but um, uh, this is the time of year when we remember and reflect on that, so we're doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. Totally appropriate as we reflect on Jesus and his sacrifice becoming a human. Have mercy. What did God think about? This story of, of Abraham opens a window where Abraham was to see the day of Christ. He was to see the experience of the father giving his son. Step by painful step, as they went along the way, Abraham was thinking about the sacrifice and his love. Do you think it was easy for God to send his son to die for us? have mercy. Sometimes we think about that sacrifice in relation to us, but what did it cost God? As God went through heaven, what can I give to redeem man? What can I give? What's the best thing I can give? I'll give it all. I'll give it all. There's nothing I will hold back. I will give all of heaven to save man. The sacrifice and love. Two beating thoughts in Abraham's mind. Abraham reaches Mount Moriah, tells the servants, stay here, the lad and I will come back. A statement of faith. They go to the place. Abraham raises, he prepares the altar, he raises the knife, and a voice crawls out, Abraham. His hand was stopped from slaying his son. There in the thicket was a ram. God provided a sacrifice, one to die in Isaac's place. This story helps us to understand what God experienced. 
except it puts a pause on it at a certain point. Abraham didn't have to. But the scripture tells us the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God placed on Jesus your sin and my sin. What did God experience in that first day when Jesus was born? We're told in Isaiah 9 and verse six. Some of you could probably sing this by memory. Isaiah 9 verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Talking about a gift. What gift did God give us? He gave us a son. I wasted many hours of my youth I regret doing it, but I played chess far too much. Chess is a complex game. There's approximately 40 moves in a game, and there's a man named Shannon. Have you heard of Shannon's number? How many of you have heard of Shannon's number? Not a person. Okay, I'm gonna tell you something new today. Shannon's number, Claude Shannon spent time, I don't know why, but he wanted to figure out how many potential moves could be in a game of chess, or how many games could be played out of each potential move. And so he calculated that. So, if you move one move, one pawn on the chessboard, the very first move, there's 20 potential um, possibilities, games out of that. The time the person moves the second potential pawn, the opponent, there's 400 potential games that could develop out of that. By the time each of them plays five times, there's 69 trillion potential scenarios that could be played out of that. 69 trillion potential scenarios in a game of chess. By the time a full chess game is played of about 40 moves each, a total of 80 moves, the potential games that could be played out of that is 10 to the 120th power. Now to put that in perspective, the amount of known atoms in the universe, what they calculate them to be, not that they've numbered them, but what they calculate them to be is 10 to the 80th power. So the potential scenarios of a chess game, a 40 move chess game, is 10 to the 120th power, more than the known atoms in the universe. When, when God looked at fallen man and tried to determine what is the right path, it wasn't a simple, silly chess game. This was life or death. God in his infinite mind could play out every possibility to the end. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if this happened? What about that? And through it all, God selected the best path, the only path. Through this maze of confusion, Satan couldn't understand the end of the direction he was going, but God knew. And God knew that there is one path to provide redemption for man, and it is this gift. Amen. This gift. Amen. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
And we're told the interpretation of that in Matthew, God with us. Now Satan would be wondering, reading these texts, looking at the scenario, what does this mean? The seed, God with us, the son. He might not have put all the pieces together. But there on that day, when Jesus was born, it began, began to come together in his mind. God with us, God in human flesh. I remember the first morning my girls left. My wife and I were at home, my mother took my, my girls, we, we're a close family. I'm a little emotional and I started crying as they went down the driveway over, for an overnight stay. <laughs> How silly. What, what must it have been like for God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit who had been together throughout eternity? They had never, ever been apart. And they came to that night before. He was to go be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and come inside of Mary's womb. They had talked about it. It had been prophesied in Genesis 3. It was foretold to happen, but then the moment came where, where Jesus left heaven and he came inside of Mary's womb. What would have been their conversation? the tears that were shed. We get a little picture into this through the story of Abraham. What must have been going through their mind? Love and sacrifice. When we think of Jesus coming as a baby, we think peace on earth, angels singing, cute donkeys. But God saw his son was going to die. He came to die. That was his mission. That was his objective. As a baby, he came to die. This was God's gift to mankind. And two primary objectives, many things were accomplished, but two primary objectives were accomplished through Jesus coming to this earth. Through his life, he demonstrated that through the power of an indwelling savior, humanity could live the life of God. Jesus' life demonstrates that humanity, empowered and indwelt by God, can walk the life, the path, the law of God that he intends for us. And in his death, he broke the shackles of the grave. He paid our penalty. And through forgiveness on the cross, we can live the life that he desires for us to live. Jesus demonstrated in himself that humanity indwelt by God cannot be controlled by Satan, that has freedom and power in him. When Jesus came as a baby, a unique gift was given that has never been given in the history of the universe and will never be given again. God dwelt in humanity. Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. Jesus, who has always been, he has always been with his father. There was not a moment when he began. He was from eternity past. In this moment, he had a beginning. God was born. He became a son. 
What should we think about when we think about the gift of God? What did God give up? Love, I heard love, amen. Jesus will be eternally human. He has demonstrated for you and I how to experience power and freedom in our life. This is it. In this dark world, Jesus died on the cross to break the shackles that bind us and he has lived a pure and beautiful life by the power of an indwelling God. This is something God wants for you. Later as we sing our closing hymn, we'll sing about the new birth that God wants to have in us. Jesus wanted those in his hearing to understand and experience this themselves. He had just finished feeding the 5,000, the multitude. And he'd come across the sea to the other side. And people were following him because they wanted to be fed. And Jesus told them that. You're following me just because you want to be fed. In John chapter 6, you can go with me there, John 6. In verse 51, John 6, 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus said, if you eat this bread, if you eat my flesh, you will live forever. Jesus was teaching the same principle as the incarnation. When Jesus comes into our life, he gives us life and we can live forever. Ever. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now Jesus is speaking symbolically here. I think we all understand he did not expect to lay on a table and then carve him up and eat his flesh. What he's saying is, he goes on to say, my words are spirit and they are life. If we take Jesus' words, if we take Jesus' life and we bring them into our own experience, if they come inside of us, that we will have life. You are what you eat, right? I mean, if you eat a banana, part of you is actually a banana. You ate a honey bun, like I did this last week backpacking. Part of you is a honey, it's probably that wart I have right there, a honey bun. what you eat comes inside, it goes through your digestive system, gets absorbed through your digestive system well, and, it, and it becomes a part of you. It makes up the very cells of your body. And Jesus is saying if we eat his flesh, uh, it will become, he will live inside of you and transform you that you can experience his power in your life. The story of the incarnation, the gift of God, is about experiencing power in your life. That is what Jesus wants for you, the gift of God. The indescribable gift, the unspeakable gift, the inexplainable gift, the gift that words cannot explain. I tried my best to talk about a gift this morning, but God's gift is something that can truly only be experienced. I hope you want to experience his gift. So my wife's Christmas present was far different 
In fact, she gave me hers before I gave her mine. When I woke up Christmas morning and I walked out into our living room, there was something I had wanted for a long time. She gave me a gift that she knew I wanted, a kayak. For her to give me a kayak was different than for me to give her a backpack. Because if she gave me what she really liked, it would have been some nice clothes, a nice purse, and some high heel shoes. <laughs> God isn't a human. He's God. And he knows the deepest need of our heart. Do you struggle with things? Is there difficulties going on in your family? Finances get a little tight? Family members struggling with disease, cancer? Life is fragile? Have you lost loved ones? Does your life feel empty? Depression is just lurking overhead. People are unkind. Church members don't say hi to you in the hall. That person in Sabbath school class. There's friction in your marriage. There's bitterness. Yeah, this world is disappointing. What this world offers will never satisfy us. That young man, that young girl, you think, oh, if I could marry them, life will be blissful. They will never satisfy you like the gift God has to offer. He knows how to meet the deepest needs of your heart. He says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will have life. Do you want that life? We have a communion service today. In fact, here in just a few moments. This service is symbolic. And it helps us remember what Jesus talked about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, partaking of his life. God has so much to offer us. Do you want more of God? Do you want more of him? Yeah, do you want the gift he has for you? I wanna invite you to stand. If you want the gift of God and you want more of God in your life, just invite you to stand. Say, Lord, I want more of you. I want to be filled with Jesus. I want to experience your power in my life. Lord, may that gift fill me wholly. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, as we are here before you, humbly contemplating the gift you gave, Lord, our minds cannot surround what pain it cost to give us this immeasurable gift. But Lord, we're hungry for more of heaven. We're tired of this world. We want more of Jesus. Fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.